Well, I just wanted to share with you to begin with just a few encounters that I've had in my own life with regard to healing. And we think of healing where you think physical healing, which is some of what we'll be talking about. Healing is wide and varied. But I remember when I was a freshman in college and my father was at a point in his life where he had had an infection, a virus disease in his eye, and it had gone on for a number of months. And I just even talked to him yesterday, and he said it was one of the lowest points in his life. And and uh, I remember it was to the point where the the infection was so bad that it could possibly take his eye. And so as a kid, you know, my dad and just never saw him weak in, in any way like that. I remember reading God's Word and kind of driven to God's Word as a result of that and reading about fasting. So I decided on a Friday that I was going to fast that Friday and Saturday and Sunday. And I, I, um, I said, I, God, I'll just take the times when I would eat and I will actually just feast upon you and ask for you to, to be merciful and gracious. And I just asked for healing in my dad's eye. And, and uh, it was so happening on that Monday. The reason I was also praying about it was that it was kind of the last shot for him. They were going to actually give him a drop that would either cause blindness in his eye or it would begin to start counterattacking that disease. And, and I remember um, going with my brother, surprising him Sunday late in the afternoon, praying with him, coming back from college, praying with him at their home and then coming back and then waiting that Monday and then getting the report from the doctor that they put the drop in and that drop began to counteract the infection. And I went, you know, God used medicine, but man, I was just overwhelmed in the sense that God heals. I remember another time early in my ministry, there was a lady in in the church that I was serving who had um, was crippled up with arthritis, and she had had a couple, you know, three, four replacements of her hips over and over again, her shoulders, every all the different joints in her body, and she was in real pain. And I just felt so for her. And I asked another pastor um, that was serving with me and some other people, let's just go. Would you, and I asked her, would you be willing to, to have us pray? She didn't even ask me to go. I just felt so compassionate for what was going on. And we, we came around her and we prayed. And I didn't know what would happen. And I thought, well, nothing happened there because she didn't say anything. But the next day she called me and she said, Kevin, I didn't take any medication that night. And I had no pain. And she went to mail like the next day and told the doctor she wouldn't take any medication. He goes, no, you're nuts. Get back on the medication. And she, God removed the pain. That's all we asked for, too. And then I remember one time standing before, um, going actually to meet to pray for a person who was going to be going in for, um, they had found cancer, and they were um, checking on these spots. They were going to do one more check on it and do an operation. And I remember driving there saying, God, what should I say? And I was flipping through the Bible, and I come across Mark, and it says, um, it, you know, have faith in me. If you tell the mountain to move, it'll move. If you tell the tree to be uprooted, it'll be uprooted. I'm going, God, I don't want to say this. This guy's going in to have an operation. This is not really what, you know, come on, I don't want to give false hope. Seriously, I'm wrestling with this. And I... <laughs> I read at the very end of it, too, it says, you know, about forgiveness, and I didn't know, how, well, really, how that played into it, but I, I read that passage of Scripture to this man, and as he read it, we got to that part of forgiveness, and I just felt prompted to ask him, have you forgiven? Is there people you haven't forgiven? He said, and he started to cry. I mean, it was a tough, strong guy. He started crying. He said he hadn't forgiven his father. He forgave his father. He went into the um, place to get operated, and he didn't have the cancer. Those are just some experiences I've had. I've also prayed for people and asked God for healing, and it then hasn't happened. 
We were praying. I remember on a number of Wednesday mornings, we were praying as we come on once, you know, on a Wednesday each month, we come to pray. We're praying for a guy, Juan Carlos, down in Peru. Some of you prayed for him, asking God to work in his life to heal this guy who is, who is, who is dying. And, and he was a young man who had all kinds of leadership potential. And I even felt as we were praying that, yes, God healed him. And you know what? He, he passed away just a, a month or so ago. I, and I go, I, God, I don't get that. Have you had similar experiences? But what I find is really interesting in all this is I think it's really important that we stay close to God's word. But we also recognize the fact that this whole idea of healing is a mystery. There's all kinds of aspects to it. But what we need to do is at least as a church, as a body, as a, is talk about it and say, God, it is clear this, that you have healed, that you do heal, that Jesus, you still do heal, as I said in this series, and that we are the body of Christ. And if we are the body of Christ, Jesus tells us that he shows up in us. And so we need to understand that and we need to move into it. And so as I was preparing my heart, um, saying, God, what is it that you want me to be speaking on? It wasn't that I came into this going, you know, God, I want to speak on healing. Because if I was, it would have to be usually systematic in its approach because there isn't just one passage of Scripture that talks about it. It would have to be topical, I thought. And then as I was, I was just doing my devotions, I'm reading through Matthew, and I come across Matthew 8 and 9, and I see these healing stories of Jesus. And I thought, okay, I'll just take this through chapters 8 and 9. And then as I began to study it, God began to pull me back and he kind of showed me. And, and as I studied his word here, gave me a word that I want us to talk about and, and, and then move into in the weeks to come, chapters eight and nine, looking at particular stories of Jesus and his ministry and healing. And so in this series, I'm not really wanting to give you my opinion. And when I do, I hope I can tell you that. Obviously, there will be some assumptions or foundational thoughts that may differ. And one of the things I said to the first service is, you know what? Let's have grace for one another. I, I think people are all over the board. Some of you might be going, yes, finally, the pastor's speaking. And, you know, and there's others going, oh, man, this is, I'm nervous. But my prayer has been, Jesus, as we look at your ministry and your ministry with your disciples, would you teach us individually and would you teach us corporately as a body? And my prayer has been that we would make this simple request as a, as a church before God. Teach us your heart and your word on this topic of healing. Can we do that? Say, God, just lead us and, and let us have some good conversation on, on the whole thing. You wouldn't believe all the conversation I had after the first service. So, in this study, we'll not cover everything about healing because we're not treating it in a systematic way or a topical way. We're going to look at it through chapters 8 and 9 and these stories that we find of Jesus and his ministry there. But to begin to study chapters 8 and 9, we really need to pull back. We need to kind of look at why is Matthew positioning these chapters as he does? That's what struck me in my own devotional time. I began to start going, wow, this is interesting. I began to see this pattern in place, but it only happened as I kind of got back to see the bigger picture of why Matthew was writing in this account. One of the things when I, uh, uh, before this pastorate, I, I had the opportunity of working in Florida, so I would fly back and forth, and I would, I would go down, and, and for a Monday through a Friday, I would just get in the trenches and do the work, and one of the real ex- good things for me as an as a executive leader, I would get on a plane on Friday, and I had this ability, and it was kind of an analogy of, of what I want us to do here. 
I got out of the trenches and as I would fly up out of Fort Lauderdale Airport, I'd be able to look at the whole. I got to see the big picture of the whole city. And I had this feeling like, like as a leader being able to kind of step back and draw back and be able to see the bigger thing. I was kind of pulling away so I could see the bigger picture. And that's kind of what I want us to do. We're going to look at verses 23 through 25, but we're not going to get into it too detailed, just a little bit to begin with. But then we're going to draw back and see why God has put, I think, through Matthew, these chapters the way he does. So here's the pattern of Jesus's life. And I think it's the pattern for every follower of Jesus. It is this, to declare, to demonstrate, and then do. We are to declare the good news of the kingdom. We are then to demonstrate the reality of the kingdom. And then we are to call others to do the same. Declaring and demonstrating the kingdom reality. If you look at chapter 4, verses 23 through 25, you have to look at how... Matthew got there and he begins in chapter one and going through chapter four. He starts by sharing and announcing the coming of the king, Jesus. There are the birth narratives. He's the only, you know, Luke is one and Matthew's the other that has some birth narratives that say the king is coming. And then right after that, as he moves through, you get some stories about John the Baptist, the forerunner who has come to announce that the king has come, who is bringing the kingdom of God. And as you go on, you then begin to read as he records the baptism of Jesus. And you see the, this initiation of Jesus in, into the life of all the people. And then he, he anoints him as it descends with the Spirit upon him. He's anointed with the Holy Spirit. And then immediately after that, Matthew shows him going out into the desert, into temptation. That even, think about it, that God's own son was tried, tested, and proved. Before he began his ministry, before we get to chapter 23, uh, chapter 4 and verses 23 and on. And I, I just, I felt like I wanted to stop here and say, friend, if, if you are in this time of testing, don't be discouraged. I mean, if you're saying to God, God, I really want to be in your game. I want my life to count for you. I want to use the resources and all that I have for you. You can bet often what will happen in a person's life is that you will go through a time of, of trial testing in order that God will prove your character. He will drive you to a place of dependence. When, when Brett was sharing the story of his beginning of his ministry, I've heard a number of people share that when they began. And one of my best friends, one of the a great preacher. Um, written many books, he also had experience where he was brought to complete dependency to recognize that this ministry, what God's calling him to do, was only going to happen in his sense of dependency. And sometimes, and it doesn't happen in, in just a short period of time, 40 days for Jesus meant a completeness that God knew, the Father knew what the Son needed because it says in Hebrews, even he learned obedience through suffering. So who am I? Who are you to say, but God, I don't want that. If you want, I really believe if you want God to fully use your life, he will allow for you to go to that place because he can't do in you what he needs to do until that character of Christ is so formed. So he goes through the temptation. And Matthew, my temptation will be to stop and, and editorialize every once in a while, but Matthew finally announces in chapter 4, um, verse 12, through about verse 22, that this promise of God from Isaiah, the light 
has come. And he's come to this land called Galilee, which he promised in the book of Isaiah. And it begins and it talks about his coming to preach that and then his calling of his first disciples. And now we get to verse 23. And verse 23 is really a statement through verse 25 of what I call the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, summed up in a sense, and the characteristic of his ministry, his character in that ministry. And so it says in these words, and and what I want you to do for a second is, if you ever, someone's told you a story, you read a story, and you kind of go, I really wonder, I doubt this is true. Ever had those kind of experiences? So what I want you to do for just a moment, because you've probably read this before, I want you to strip all that away. I want you to almost think in the sense that you're reading a newspaper article or you're having someone tell you about this preacher, healer, itinerant guy. Because that's what Matthew's doing to a whole lot of people who may not have heard this. Listen to what he writes. And, And listen to it. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. You know, you're hearing this news about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain. The demon possessed or the scripture really is demonized. It's the idea that, you know, we get this idea that this is literal possession. It's this idea that our will can be fully possessed or can be harassed and tormented and people can have to be demonized in that sense. Those having seizures, which is the idea of, of being, um, in the Greek word, it's, it's the idea of moonstruck, and, and that they would be, they'd call a person who had kind of epilepsy, they, they're almost lunatic. They, they didn't understand what was going on. And the paralyzed, and Jesus healed them. And large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, and Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So before we ascend to that 40,000 foot view of these chapters and their placement of why they're where they're at, I want us just to take a moment and look at this and understand these few verses. Look at verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee. That was his area of ministry. He was an itinerant preacher healer in that sense. He was a rabbi. And this was his territory. The towns and villages of Galilee was his circuit, you could say. It's not unusual. In the Old Testament, the prophet Samuel was one, and they talked about his annual circuit. He would go from, from Gilgal to Bethel to Mitzpah, and he would do that annually. That was his circuit, that little area in Judah. I, I was reading um, stories in the, in the last few years, the last year of like Abe Lincoln, and I have some stuff on John Adams. Do you know they were circuit Judges or lawyers, you heard of that idea. They have a circuit. You know, they would go from one town to another where people would wait for them to try their cases. So this idea of a circuit person is something you even see in pastors in the, in, in the past. There's even some who still do it. Well, they'll go from town to town where they'll lead. Jesus' circuit was Galilee. Josephus, the Jewish Roman historian, who wrote just one generation, this is within 40 years of the life of Christ, says this, Galilee had 204 cities and villages, each with no fewer than 15,000 persons. So if you just were to kind of say, if he got to every village and town, and he did two villages or towns a day at a rate of one per day, that's three months that would be required for all the visits in all the population centers in Galilee. And this would actually include Jesus not taking a day off, but teaching on the Sabbath within a synagogue. 
Well, we know that we read his word and we read what the gospel writers have said, that Jesus took time off. He took sometimes days away. And then often when he'd go to a place, he would stay several days. And after a while, some people would come to him and say, you've got to plant your, your ministry here. And Jesus would say, no, I'm not to do that. I'm to go what? Preach to other towns. I'm to, to bring this news, declare this news, demonstrate this reality, and call other people to do the same wherever I go. And this really gives legs to, to Peter's words. Think about it. Peter is speaking to Cornelius, who's living up in a town near the Mediterranean, who is, is a man who's not a Jew, but a God-fearing person. He's coming to bring the news about Jesus. And Peter says to him, you'll recall, he's saying to these people, you'll recall how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. You've heard the story. You've read the reports. You'll recall how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So if you take into account Josephus' numbers, even on a conservative estimate, probably three million or so people came to Jesus. And if you include what Matthew says in verse 25, you can see that it was probably true that that many or more. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, which was across the other side of the Lake of Galilee, from Jerusalem and Judea and that area down south and across the Jordan even followed him. News was spreading everywhere. And so as an itinerant circuit preacher healer, Jesus, I think this is interesting, he would have probably taught the same material again and again. I go, it's not like me having to bring up a new message every week. Jesus was teaching often to places and he would share these messages. And you wonder why the disciples were able to record so well what they heard. They've heard these messages and it gives an understanding of why Jesus at times would go, Oh, they, you guys don't get it yet. We've been doing the ABCs through every town. And who are we to think we're any better, right? I'm sure there's times Jesus looks down and goes, Oh man, Kevin. We've got to do this lesson again. I will provide. And so, you also get this sense of Jesus as he goes from place to place. He has faced problems and illnesses and needs again and again. Part of what Jesus was doing was declaring the kingdom to all these people. He was demonstrating its reality and he was calling his disciples to do the same. He was actually, as he would minister and he would, he would heal, he was coming to them and it wasn't just be healed like that. I think there was much God through Jesus was, was actually helping people work through forgiveness, which caused some ill and bitterness things. He was working through open doors of sin and saying this is bringing us in. He was talking to people because we live in a fallen world and because we have a sin-stained world, there will be impacts and effects of that upon our physical bodies. And he was training and teaching them as he went from place to place and demonstrating so clearly the reality of the kingdom so that as he declared it, people would look at him and go, that is the Son of God in flesh. Now, we don't go around and do the same. We don't have individually that fullness of God dwelling upon us. And yet we're still called to be engaged in this and to what degree. That's what God, I'm praying, will lead us and help us, give us understanding and give us grace. So that there's not people living in guilt and, 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 and there is illness and, 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 and the reality of the fact is before us. And, and yet, how are we to be engaged in that? And so I want us to now look 40,000 feet above. 
as Jesus declares the kingdom's nearness and demonstrates its reality. If you look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 through 25, it's, this, it's kind of a summary of this next portion of Scripture up to about chapter 9. If you look at chapter 9, you'll see verse 35 is almost the same wording as chapter 4, verse 23. So I'm, I'm going to ask you to do a little work here because you're going to have to actually... Pay attention, and I'll try and make this as clear as possible. There's, he gives the exact wording. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. He only, that, that every disease and sickness is only found three times in Scripture. It's found in Matthew 4, it's found in Matthew 9, and it's found in Matthew 10, um, around verse, verse 1. So there's, a, there's a reason why Matthew is doing this. And what you have is these bookends. You have this sense of here's, in a sense, in chapter 4, verses 23 through 25, this is what Jesus came to do. He summarizes it. Then in chapters 5 through 7, it's very interesting. I was trying to say, well, why all of a sudden is all this teaching? It's all the Sermon on the Mount. It's all the declaration of what the kingdom is like. It's really not a bunch of shoulds. It's really a bunch of reality. Jesus was the kind of teacher who said, look at guys, here's reality. This is the truth. You can either live in it or you can choose not to. You can either humble yourself and understand, here's the declaration of the good news. This is what Matthew 5 starts out with. Blessed. Every person, you need to know that the kingdom of God is available for you. His presence, His fullness, His life is yours. Don't try and seek life in other places. In fact, those who are rich, those who are wealthy, those who are talented, often it's, a, it's really easy to rest in your own sense of self and your own ability to find your worth in the things outside of you. And He says, no, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who are hungry. The reality reality is this, that people who are desperate and understand their sin, they're not standing up there and saying, well, I've never been a sinner. Or I don't really need Jesus. They know they need Jesus. Are you in that place? And then he says, blessed are you. Because in that, hu- that place of humility, as you offer your heart and life to him, he is allow- he will, as you find your life in him, he will give you his life. And so he, he declares that through Matthew 5 through 7, gives you all these teachings. But what I find is really interesting after he declares all this, chapter um, 8 and 9 is now the demonstration of all of it. He actually goes out and demonstrates it. And he asks us to do the same. And this demonstration is really simply this that we are to be people who understand we live by grace. And what Jesus did, you watch incident after incident. He merely, as he went, listened to the Spirit of God. And when needs came before him, he said, God, how do you want me to meet them? And I think that's all God calls us to do as well. And I'm not asking for, we're not saying super miraculous stuff. Don't get into that in in that sense. God just wants us to leave this building and to recognize that since we have received grace, he has given us that opportunity to know him, and it's available to anyone with a humble heart. He says, now go out and live your life, and his needs come before you just in your heart. God, how do you want me to need it? What's the risk you want me to do? Do you want me just to come up to someone and say, you know, I'm just going to pray for your your family situation, or I'm just going to, you know, I just maybe send a person an encouraging note. However it is, God just says, you know, just pay attention to his prompting and demonstrate the reality of his kingdom. You know what? It's interesting because when Jesus comes to the end of this teaching that he has, the declaration of five through seven, you just have to note that Jesus has a hang up on this thing. He doesn't want us to just get intellectual information. He always is prodding us to see the fruit 
and to practice what has been shown, what we've heard. So as you get to end of chapter 7, he's shown the teaching, the declaration, the preaching and teaching of the kingdom of God. He comes to the end of chapter 7, and isn't it interesting, the, the sermon and how Matthew ends it and records it and how the Spirit of God leads him and how Jesus, I believe, ended that sermon is on these two things. Matthew seven fifteen through 23 is all about a tree and its fruit. He's done all this teaching, and his basic point is, guess what, folks? And it's about religious leaders. I'm afraid, in a sense, Jesus said, for sometimes the religious community and those who come and lead, that a good tree, um, if you want to know a good tree, you'll see it in their fruit. It's about not just taking in, it's about what comes out. And then if you look at Matthew 24 through 27, at the very end of the message, he talks about wise and foolish builders. And here's the close of his message. After all the declaration, all the teaching and preaching, he closes it by saying, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine will put them into practice. Jesus is so concerned that we hear and do what the Spirit prompts us to do. He was never one to just preach, but he practiced what he preached. And so as you come to the end of Matthew, verse 28 through 29, here's the transition from this declaration, the teaching and preaching of the good news that he summed up in chapter 4. He now comes at the very end of chapter 7, and he says this, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one with authority. And the word authority is the word author. You could almost say they were amazed because he taught as actually one who authored the words. When they listened to him, they go, this guy's just not talking about what's in his head. He's talking about what he's experienced, what he knows. What he's declaring matches up with what he's demonstrating. And he doesn't teach, as he says, like teachers of the loss of the people. So now you get to the end of chapter 7, and now we're going to spend a number of weeks in chapters 8 and 9, okay? But I want you to, do, to know that as he talks about the declaration, he moves into this, the, the whole comes into the demonstration of how you live out your life with regard to the needs of people around you. He then moves into this last part where he says, go do the same. Remember I said that in 23 he talks about you know, every sickness and disease, and he does the same thing in chapter 9 if you look at verse um, 30. Uh, 6 or 35 right in there says the same summation. But listen to what he says after that. He talks about, Jesus says, I am um, compassionate. I look at them like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed and helpless. And then he says, I want you guys, disciples, I want you to look. After these things have all happened, he says, I want you to look out and I want you to see the harvest is full. If you look out there, there's all kinds of opportunity, but there's few workers. And he says, so ask the Lord. This is how Matthew ends at chapter 9. And now look what happens in chapter 10. Declare, demonstrate, now he goes to, now I want you to do the same. If you look at chapter 10, verse 1, he says, He called his twelve disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And then, catch these words, as you go. It reminds me of Matthew 28, 18 through 20, when Jesus says, Go and make followers, and teach and train them all that I've trained you. If you have to ask, what does that mean? But he says, as you go, then preach the message. The kingdom of God, heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received them, freely give. Now I want you to remember Jesus is a rabbi. It used to bother me. I'd read some translations of scripture and they would come to him and say, good teacher, teacher. And I'd go, why do they call him teacher? He's the son of God. He's God in flesh. 
But in their day, they understood that he was a rabbi. And a rabbi, what they would do is they would not want to just impart knowledge, intellectual truth. They didn't want to just get content in a person's brain. What they really wanted to see is that the person that they were training would not only get the content, but they would actually begin to do what he did. They would actually live like he lived. That's how you had a a group of disciples who could go on and carry on what your ministry was. Now, parents, I, I think of it this way. You know when your kids get to that point when, when they want to drive, right? And, and, and you're kind of been talking with them and they got their license and, and they've proved they can actually drive. You are giving them the keys to the car for the first time. That's kind of a scary moment for most parents. And so I, I remember that. And I, and I, I think back and I go, now, I, I, I was aware that, you know, they, she, my, my daughters could tell me where the brakes were. They could tell me the different speed limits. I mean, they were able to tell me about how you could fasten the seatbelts. They were, you know, today you can tell your kids that texting is not just risky while you're driving. It's what? Fatal. But how many would be thrilled if they could tell you all that, but they never did it? You see, that's exactly what's happening here. Jesus is is in training, and this is what Matthew wants us to see, because as he comes to chapter 10, he now comes to this point in chapter 10, and Jesus says to you, here's the keys to the kingdom. I'm actually giving you the keys to the kingdom. And and when when you think about that, it, it helps you explain that Jesus wasn't just looking for people to get some intellectual knowledge. He was getting people to a place where they understood and saw what he did and did what he did. And that's why Luke records when when the 72 go out, Jesus didn't just send out 12. He sent out 72. When they went out, they came back. And guess what? They were so excited. They were so thrilled because they had seen God work through their lives. And Jesus, before he gets too excited, he just stops and he goes, you know, guys, I'm really thrilled that you took the keys and you were able to drive this thing. But I want you to know, don't get your worth in what you do. What I want you to remember is that your names are written in the book of life. Remember that your identity, what, what is important is who you are in God, that your names are there, and then let that just flow through you. And then Scripture makes this incredible point. It says right after he says that to him, he says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. You know, that's the only time in Scripture it says that he was full of joy. He was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. And he raised his fist in the air, which is my translation. And he said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned who get it intellectually from the powerful. And you revealed them to little children, the B squad of people that I chose because it's your good pleasure. Here's what he was so excited about. When they came back and they did what he was doing, he knew the ministry would be transferred. Any good parent, any good consultant, any good person who who is um, training an apprentice, what they get excited about is that they don't just recite knowledge, but they actually begin to do. They live the demonstration of the reality of the kingdom. And then they tell others to do the same. So what does all this mean? I'll just say it again as we move through this. Healing is a mystery. You may have been praying for someone or you may yourself have had people praying for you. And I don't understand. 
But I don't want us to move to a place of being afraid to still move out and say, God, we're going to pray. We're going to allow you to teach us what it means. We're just going to we want to learn from you. We're going to look at your word and see. And to recognize that, you know what? We don't want to put God in a box in either way. We want to we want to be a church that says, Jesus, you're here and just lead us and teach us like you taught your disciples. We just want to know what it means and how to live more into that. What does that look like? And then I just want to say it's a ministry. There's a sense where God is calling us to say, um, like when people come for prayer, whether it's prayer for physical healing or emotional or relational, God calls us to be engaged in the ministry of allowing his spirit to move into situations that are complex and allowing him to deal with it. And we're going to we're going to continue to do that. We're going to continue to seek to learn. What does that mean? Even in this area of physical healing. So I've had a couple of challenges before myself as I've been praying through this. And that is this. Am I open? And I, as I ask these questions, I ask you to say the same thing to yourself. Am I open to how God, through his Holy Spirit, wants to work through me and others? Does my need, it forced me to begin to ask this question, does my need to be right get in the way of doing what is right? There were times when the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, you know what, it's the Sabbath, what are you doing, healing? Their theology got in the way of, of what the Spirit was moving and doing. Well, I ask and will we ask the tough questions and say, God, we don't understand. We pray for Juan Carlos and why in the world? God, we, you know, it's, there's disappointment and we don't want to put people into places of guilt or fear. But teach us what you want us to know. And then the other question I ask myself, is, am I willing to take a risk? Honestly, even as I was going through my quiet times and, and feeling led to, to, to teach on this and to preach on this, I'm going, God, this is really risky. I'm even sweating. Um, because people are all over the place. And I just ask us to think about this, not just in this area, in your whole life. Are you willing to just, as you have opportunities to declare the kingdom, are you, are you demonstrating the reality of it around people? Do they see it in your attitudes? Do they see it in your willing to risk and maybe do things that the Spirit prompts you to do? Are you willing to just get out of your own safety and comfort zone and say, God, do this in me. So that as you declare and demonstrate, you can encourage other people to do the same. I uh, want us to think about that idea of risk as we close. I want you to think about that. I saw an um, interesting video by a, a guy named Francis Chan. And he just puts it in such a way that is so clear. I just wanted us to close to think about what's, what's my risk level in this whole thing. You know, just, there's so much instability, so much that we don't understand, that, that we don't know. For me, growing up, it was, uh, a lot of you guys know, my mom died giving birth to me. And my dad remarried. Then my stepmom died in a car accident when I was nine. Then my dad got married again. Then my dad died of cancer when I was 12. And so I'm in junior high. My mom's dead. My stepmom's dead. My dad's dead. The only close relatives I had were my, my aunt and uncle, George and Sandra. And then when I was in high school, they got in a fight, and my Uncle George shot and killed my aunt, and then stuck the gun to his own head, killed himself. So I'm 16 years old, and this is life to me, going, man, what's next? Everything seems to be falling apart, and we get a little worried, we get a little scared. And this is what Christians do, you know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky, and things get a little unstable, and so we go, okay, 
that was nuts. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to live like that. Let me, uh, let me hold on. And this is your routine. This is what so many people do. They go, you know what? I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here and, uh, I'm just going to hold on. And, uh, this is what you look like. You just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what? I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to, um, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves. We're going to live in a gated community. I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to, um, you know, I'm not going to let them outside because sun has bad rays. I'm going to, um, you know, just on and on and on. And you just live your life in the safety of I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like two percent. Um, and uh, maybe serve, help the nursery, because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life, and then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what? I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it, and then just go up to heaven. And so th- you want to die like this, just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, the dream you're going to heaven, and you don't even feel it. And then suddenly you wake up, you stand before the judge, and you go... Now... If uh, could you imagine, could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know, and some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing and then steps off and goes, what is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. That's the routine that they're going to live, and then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge, and you think he's going to look at that routine and go, wow, well done. Well done. You lived the safest life possible. You didn't slip. You didn't fall. See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. I look at that and I go, um, Sometimes I look at the church in America, I look at my own life, and I just go, is it about just trying to be safe and, and okay? Or is it about saying, Holy Spirit of God? I say this so much in my heart. Holy Spirit of God, would you come and fill us and may we be risk takers? Take care of my, my fear. I don't want to be afraid and not lead people in a land of promise, of more of what it means to be with you. I, I want to be more like Peter than the other disciples that stood, stayed in the boat. When, when I see you, I want to walk out in that water. And, and I'm going to fall, and you're going to fall. But we going to be gracious and say, we're after the things God is after. And we're going to be a gracious community, and we're going to learn together, and we're going to, we're going to walk together, and we're going to grow together. Because we've decided like the disciples did who did some really risky things to follow Jesus and not turn back. I'm going to ask you to stand and let's close as we sing this together.